Tēnā koutou katoa. Welcome to our latest episode of NZ Free Law. I'm your host, Julia Stenson. And for those of you who are first-time listeners to the podcast, NZ Free Law is brought to you by ture.co.nz. Our mission is to provide better access and information to Kiwis about the law. So basically help you to solve some of your legal problems and questions. Now, I've normally got my co-host Josh with me, but not today. So I'll have to wear two hats, my legal hat, and try to do Josh's job of asking our guest questions from non-lawyers' perspective. So just bear with me. Today, guest-wise, we're fortunate to have the newly inducted NZLS, so the New Zealand Law Society President, Tiana Ipati, with us. Tēnā koe, Tiana. Tēnā koe, Julia. I think today what we'll do is we'll focus on the NZLS role Mm -hmm. and we normally have like a word of the day but with limited time I think what we'll do is we'll just focus on the topic and in particular I really wanted to hone in on the disputes process and the function with the New Zealand Law Society that it plays with that process so that the public can know if they believe they've got some kind of issue with the lawyer, they know what they can do. Not that it's encouraging them, it's really just understanding where the process is and how that works. And we were just quickly having a, a introductory discussion and we were saying that it, it's not the most exciting topic. <laughs> no, com- complaints process, yeah, doesn't, doesn't sound like a great theme for a movie, does it? No, no. 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 But it's one of those things that... Necessary. Yeah, yeah. and I get asked, it's one yeah. of those frequently asked questions for me. So that's why I thought it would be useful for our listeners today, wondering what to do if they have a, a kind of genuine issue that they've, they've tried to work through and it hasn't worked for them going directly to their lawyer. But we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Let's just start with some easy stuff. Okay. Let's start with some, I'll stop talking and you can start talking. And we'll start with like, what is the overarching kind of function of the New Zealand Law Society? We have a governing statute called the Lawyers and Conveyances Act, which outlines, I think, a purpose which has something like seven verbs in it, so which isn't very helpful. The, the simplest way that I can explain it um, is that the Law Society has a a three-tier function. Um, One is to protect the public, right? Right. So it acts as a regulator of lawyers, regulates the behaviour and the standards of lawyers. So it's quite a heavily regulated industry. And it should be. Yeah, I agree. And secondly, it has a representative function. Well, it sort of straddles the two in the sense that, you know, you need lawyers to be the best that they can be because Mm. that's how standards are upheld but also a representative function in order to represent lawyers in a variety of capacities. So one, protect the public. Two, um, support and ensure the profession is the best it can be. And thirdly, protect the rule of law. So we have a law reform function where we make submissions quite often on the passing legislation. Yeah. Now, just putting Josh's hat on here, Yeah. the rule of law... Yeah. So <laughs> that's a topic we could talk about for hours. Yeah. But it's it's basically, in a nutshell, well, I don't know if I would be so bold as to say what it is in a nutshell, but it's upkeeping the expectations of everybody following the rules. Uh, it's When you think about what is the purpose of the law, 
which is actually quite hard. Most lawyers can't yeah. answer that question. It's actually to provide fairness, you know? So when people have an issue, well, no, that is, that's, that's what it's meant to be. Now, whether it does that or not is yeah. another question. But that yeah. is, when we think about it, that's what we expect. We expect the law to be there to operate to provide fairness. So upholding the rule of law is ensuring that whatever law we pass is fair law that it doesn't necessarily disadvantage one group over another, that it isn't breach of our Bill of Rights, that it doesn't have unintended consequences that weren't thought about. That's, that all comes under the obligation to ensure that there is a proper and fair rule of law. Yeah, I, I guess that's right in the sense that fair is determined by the majority. We're represented in Parliament and they pass the laws that the majority believe what is fair. Mm-hmm. And whether it's fair or not is, is really a, an ongoing argument and that's how the laws that's right. are supposed to be made. So, Which is why it's important to have an independent voice that comes in and says actually this isn't fair or have you thought about this or if this is the purpose that you're trying to achieve it's not going to do that. Mm. Mm. Or have you thought about you know, fundamental human rights in this context when you are doing this, when you are taking something away, when you're reversing the onus of proof what does that do for the fundamental right to be innocent until proven guilty? Yeah, yeah so, so that's what I mean by protecting the rule of law is part of the law society's function because we come in quite often. We have 17 different law reform committees that have specialties and we, we provide submissions every week, I know because I have to sign all of them off, on uh, legislation that's being passed. Yeah, and, so and really and, testing the fairness on some of those. Yeah, a good example is that I... Uh, presented orally in front of the Select Committee on Gun Control. Right. So we were, we were asked specifically to come in and provide our take on this piece of very rushed legislation, so that's what I did. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, some really topical, juicy pieces of work yeah. in your role. And constant. As I say, we've got 17 yeah. separate law reform committees, all made up of lawyers who volunteer their time and services to provide like top-notch legal submissions and most people don't even know that that's Mm. quite a vital function of the Law Society. We're one of the only professional organisations that has protecting the rule of law in our governing statute. So getting back to the Law Society, of the three functions, one of the functions is regulating the body of lawyers and so within that is where it fits around making complaints about a lawyer if you have an issue with a lawyer. The Law Society manages that process or regulates that process. And the public can, and actually other lawyers even, mm-hmm. can, can go through this process if they want to take up an issue with a lawyer or a former lawyer, um, if it's around work that they've done as a lawyer. In terms of the actual process, so if, let's say I'm a, a member of the public and I've Actually, I, I do remember a scenario. This is a scenario where I was very, I was a law student and I was asked by a friend what they should do because they'd had some issues with a builder building their house and then they'd gone to a lawyer to try and get it sorted out and then they'd had issues with the lawyer and they were quite desperate to kind of figure mm. out what they should do. Mm. They were sort of beside themselves. I felt really sorry for them but... I was just a, a junior, a, not even a junior, sorry, I was a student at the time. Mm. So I had to look up what it was that they could do and I came across this process. 
So I'll let you let you run through just the kind of high-level process that you can go through. Sure. So we, we, it's called the Lawyers' Complaints Service, um, and basically you get in, you know, and there's an 0800 number that you can ring. Um, it's all available on our website, and you you make a complaint. Every complaint is assessed. We have what we call the ERS, which is Early Resolution Service. Depending on the nature of the complaint, if it's quite serious, then it may not be appropriate, so it gets triaged. Um, and ERS are essentially a committee, and they can contact the parties to see if it can be sorted out. Sometimes it might be a dispute over the fee, a lawyer's fee, and so the ERS can sort it out and say, well, to the lawyer, you know, do you mind taking a discount, or this is this is the... This is the sense of grievance here, and it gets sorted. Now, I think roughly over a third of complaints are resolved, oh, that's great. ERS. And that actually has a really high turnover rate. Like, it, it can be resolved in a... So it's like a mediation type yeah, of service. Yeah, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a lower-level, you know, it's, um, service to ensure that things are dealt with speedily. Now, if it's not suitable for ERS, if it's too serious, it goes on what we call a standard track, and it goes to a standards committee. Right. Standards committees are made up of lawyers and non-lawyers, so people from the public. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. And the standards committee, and we have them in every part of the country, they will consider a complaint and they can either decide to take no further action and they'll provide specific reasons. So they provide judgments. Yeah. Um, or they can make a finding of unsatisfactory conduct against the lawyer. Or they can refer it on to the disciplinary tribunal. Right. So so just taking back a couple of steps, what yep. are the sorts of things that can be complained about? Because there's, I guess the fear is that Law, for lawyers, they, you know, you tr- you're human at the end of the day. So you're always trying to. I had a, one lawyer say to me once, "We're in the business of getting things right," which is true to a degree. Mm. But in reality, we're humans, so sometimes there are things that can go wrong, despite your best efforts. And so I think um, if somebody doesn't get the outcome they want, they can complain purely because they didn't get the outcome they yeah. want rather than what the lawyer tried to do yeah. in their best interest. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why the ERS are quite important because often mm. they can see that for what it is. It's mm. not it's not a valid complaint about conduct or ethics. It's just that we have a person who lost yeah. their case in court. Mm. And, you know, often, and you'll know this as a lawyer, there is no right answer and mm. you can give advice and say these are the odds, you can still proceed, I can only give you advice about you know, risk or what's mm. going to happen and then it doesn't quite pan out. Well, that's, I'm not, I haven't breached my obligation as a professional. Mm. It's just that you're unhappy with the results. So ERS are, um, are very well placed. Yeah. Or, or the, that triaging process is very well placed to weed out those particular matters. Mm. Where there is something that might might have some concern, then it can go to standards committee. And even at that stage, the standards committee can take a more in-depth look Mm. um, and they can come out with a no further action type finding because they say, well, actually, there's nothing to see here. So they they do a bit more of an investigation. They might ask for a bit more evidence, for lack of a better description. At the end of the day, it is evidence. Yep. And depending on what you're complaining about, Mm -hmm. if it's 
for example, inappropriate conduct or overcharging or poor communication. Yeah, that's um, yep, that's a common one. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm just well, not not common. It happens a lot, but that's yeah, I've seen that in terms of the complaint yeah. process. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've yeah. seen that kind of complaint. Yeah, so that's when they would say, well, can you? when they do a deeper dive, I guess, if they haven't got enough from what's in front of them or something new is introduced. Because the lawyer is obviously has to be given an opportunity to reply. Um, and that may be where at that the previous stage they didn't have that information and it's been passed on, I'm, I'm guessing. So if the Standards Committee decide that they're going to proceed with an investigation, they get full submissions from both sides. Yeah. Yep. It's a quasi-judicial function. Yeah. I mean, they, they write... They write decisions that are like judicial judgments but they they do it as a committee and as I say you've got two you you usually have I think I'm this I'm right about this you have two non-lawyer members so members of the public who also you know bring that public consumer lens to mm. something mm. and but I guess the the they have to use the standards of the legal profession which is under the the lawyers and conveyances act you know the client and the conduct and client care rules. So there's the rules, there's the regulations, and then there's the Act. Yes. Yep. And you, that's progressively going up yep. the tree. Yeah. Um, but when you get to the rules, which is the real nitty-gritty of what you can and can't do, yep. I would imagine that would be what they would be looking at. So yes. for the members of the public, if they, if they really want to know what kind of rules they're looking at, they can go, it's completely online, yep. just like all the legislation is. Absolutely. It's a matter of the interpretation is where it starts to get a bit fuzzy. But I actually think that the, the rules are quite clear and quite easy to read yep. for anybody to kind of comprehend. They're, they're written, they're, they're written, definitely written for the public mm. consumer as opposed to other lawyers. That mm. was, I mean, in many ways the whole, our whole statutory regime is, is focused on consumers. Right. And I guess with any with any kind of dispute, I mean, the first thing you should be doing is taking it up with that person. Ideally, first, yeah, and that to should see if you can resolve it. That right? should be in every every lawyer's client care letter yeah. that there is an option to resolve it directly. So that if, for example, I may have an issue with something you've done, I can take it up with your managing partner, and it can be it can be just sorted because it may very well be a misunderstanding, mm. or it may very well be that I had thought you were going to let me know before you went further with instructing an expert mm. and that I became liable for the expert's fees. You know, it, it may very well be that we just had a misunderstanding about the instruction mm. and it can be sorted quickly as opposed to having to go through a whole complaints process. An external one, because really you're in, in an internal complaints process, yeah. I guess, when you take it up with that particular lawyer, which yeah. I think they are required to have that process internally from memory. But it's always really important to have that independent body that you can go to yeah. to say, hey, I, 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 well, I don't feel I can raise it with Julia and her boss because mm. actually they were both there and they were both kind of, you know, being like that. And, yeah. yeah. For the record, I've never actually had a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've got a complaint. It's gone through the early complaints service it's yep. carried on to standards committee to this well you've gone and you've filled out the application of the complaint to the standards committee and um, they've considered the complaint and they've made a decision and then they've from that decision they have decided to 
make an order yep. of some kind, let's say, for the sake of argument, unsatisfactory conduct. Yeah, they can only, they can't make a finding of misconduct. Do you okay. understand that distinction? I'd love you to okay. talk me through so it. Let's say, let's say their complaint is um, that Tiana stole a lot of money from me. Okay. okay, that's quite a serious, like, and let's, let's say, for, and I, I've never done this, but let's say it's like a vast amount of money. Mm. So clearly inappropriate for ERS. Standards mm. can be like, whoa, mm. whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm. That's not a breach of our nice rules about being courteous and respectful and not forgot having to conflicts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot to talk, talk to you about, yeah. you know, that experience. That's, you've stolen a whole lot of money from me. Yeah. So that's, that's, Definitely misconduct territory. So the standards committee would say, okay, we're going to elevate it to the disciplinary tribunal. And what's really important to understand is the disciplinary tribunal is not run by the law society. It is run by the Ministry of Justice. So Mm. when they talk about us having this self-regulation situation, it's not that. It's a co-regulatory model. And what I mean by that is to a certain point we deal with things, Mm. but then when it's serious it will go to the Ministry of Justice and the Disciplinary Tribunal, which is presided over by, again, um, some lawyer members, but a judge, a sitting district court judge, will then make a decision about whether it's misconduct or something less. It gets really serious, it basically. Does. It does. <laughs> Long story short. Yeah. Nice. But the next question is, well, if, you're, if you, the lawyer, then have, if me, I have this finding of misconduct against me and I think that's wrong, I can appeal it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it's it's that judicial kind of process, but for the industry. Yeah. And so the tribunal, if they find a lawyer guilty, they have the evidence, and they they can remove them from. Yeah. They can strike them practicing. off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's only the disciplinary tribunal that can do that. And I would imagine that would be worse than a fine. That would be worse than anything else because you can never practice again. Correct. And your name is mud. Yep. The end of your livelihood. So everything you've studied yeah. for mm. your entire life, mm. adult life, is over. But you know, if you've if you've stolen, then yeah, if you've stolen a whole lot of money, or you've done something horrendous, or yeah, then then we can't have you acting for people. So let's move to the um, New Zealand Law Society president's functions, and I'm really interested in the overarching functions that the president has, and then we'll delve into the priorities for you as a president, given that it's a three-year term. Hmm. Um, You've got a really short time, so you want to be able to obviously focus on the things that really matter um, within that time. If you can just talk us through, firstly, those, those functions. Sure. So every region in New Zealand has a representative branch area, and each, so Gisborne, branch of the New Zealand Law Society will have its own president. Which is where you started. Correct. Say in Auckland, Wellington and so on and so on. And I think there are 16 altogether. Every six months they all converge on Wellington and we have what's called the council meeting where all the branch presidents come around one table, including the New Zealand Bar Association. Tahungaroya Māori now have a representative um, in-house lawyers, family law section. So we have this enormous, huge, grand council meeting. My job is to chair that meeting. But in the interim, so in that six-month period, we have a board that has a lot of delegated powers to run, essentially, the um, the overarching strategy. Right. And I chair the board. 
Okay. okay. So I have a I have an executive kind That's of function. It's quite a daunting. It's big. Yeah. 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 And then on top of all that, I am the spokesperson on behalf of the profession for ceremonial occasions. I sign off all the law reform work. I am. They talk about the face of the New Zealand Law Society, but not necessarily the spokesperson on all issues. I travel internationally um, to uh, selected conferences, not all of them, but the ones that are key for us to be at, like the Commonwealth, uh, Presidents of Law Asia. And I'll often volunteer myself for panels when we do workshops to share what we're doing and also to understand what other jurisdictions are doing. Because it's helpful not to reinvent the wheel mm. when we're looking at initiatives mm. um, for the profession and for the public. So um, as, you've, as you've already pointed out, I only have a three-year term. I can't be re-elected. It's three years and that's right. it. Yep. Okay. It's a one. It's a one-time one thing. Mm. Yep. So I've. I. I think of it as a thousand days. A thousand days to make an impact. You know, when you think about it, I am only the fourth woman. I'm the youngest president, mm. first of Polynesian descent. Mm. It's an opportunity for me really to make my mark um, on a profession at a time when they are wanting to change, when everyone is saying it's time to change, change our culture, change the way we do things. So let's have a look at that. So for me, there are two, two main areas, two challenges. One is health and well-being of the profession. And when I unpack that, I mean stress and anxiety, mm. diversity and inclusion, and workplace behaviour. Yeah, because we were going to move into some survey results from yep. from a current survey and I think you're speaking directly to it's exactly right. the biggest issues that came out of that survey yep. so um, I can understand that you've chosen that but just before we get into that a little bit more that was one of the reasons I reached out to you immediately because and wanted to have you on the show because you are a number of firsts <laughs> as the Law Society president and you are making some changes already, I believe. I mean, this is my opinion, just by being in that role and having that voice and really, at a, as you say, at a time, a, quite a critical time of change for the, mm. for the industry. So I just want to put that five cents on Oh, thank in, you. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the questions that was asked of me is what I thought, I thought the challenges were. And I think the most important thing to think about is what does the profession actually think the challenges are and last year we did an annual survey we do it every year actually mm. an annual survey and it had the biggest response rate we'd ever had before ever mm. you know lawyers are not great at responding to surveys but this one was the was a record number of responses and so from that we were able to ask with a pretty high accuracy rate the 14,000 lawyers in the country right now, what do you, what is what is on top for you? And number one was actually stress and anxiety and work life balance. Mm. Um, number two was diversity of all kinds and inclusion, and number three was workplace behaviour. Now, when you think about it, they all actually overlap mm. because they all they all come out as one thing, and that's culture, right? Right? Yeah. A culture of working excessive hours, a culture of not being completely representative of our community and inclusive of our community. And, you know, a culture which, unfortunately, to our shame, we have to accept of toxic workplace behaviour. And so what, what I say is, look, if you, if you look at those three things, they all fall under the umbrella of health and well-being. 
because it undoubtedly affects mm. the health and well-being of the profession if that's what's occurring. Mm. And how on earth can lawyers be the best they can be if we have this overall challenge? So that's that's quite, um, I, I see as a significant one, which the profession has accepted mm. now and identified and we're, we are, and that's, which is always part. stage one. That well, it's but almost it's almost half of it. Though. Any recovery is actually well, no, admitting actually, you've got a problem. Exactly, <laughs> and everyone admitting they've got a problem. Yeah. Not just no, that's you guys mm. over there. It's actually mm. everyone has work to do, and that's yeah. why I keep saying, you know, the the key to it, if you want, an, if you want it in a sentence, is actually every lawyer taking responsibility and and changing, even if it's just a little bit, because mm. if every lawyer changes a little bit, the whole profession changes a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know, in a nutshell, that's that's what needs to happen. Yeah, and I was thinking about this whole culture thing, and and my experience. When you go into a law firm, you are taught to do things a certain way, and a lot of that is incredibly useful. And in some of the learnings that weren't as useful. Mm when you move out of the legal environment because you are crafted to be a certain way as well. So it's not just how you deliver advice or provide information. I think that it's it's less personable in some ways. And the public want to see, in my opinion, more of the human element. Mm. But the way I was taught was actually you take that out. You depersonalise it and you, yeah. And I think that's, in some ways, I think that's, probably added to the industry's issues because a lot of places say to you, well, we don't really want to know how this makes you feel. We just need you to do the work. We just need to do it Mm. and make the money. But in reality, we're all human. And so that doesn't, at some point, that falls apart. Yeah, and I mean, you know, a lot of us went to law school because we wanted to do something good. Mm. We wanted to do, you know, we wanted to be of service to our communities and we wanted to do something good. Certainly that's why I went to law school. Mm. And Mm. what I hear a lot of is that somewhere along the way people lose that mm. that it you know and I don't know whether it's a cynicism or I remember I heard Sean Elias who's the former chief justice say you know at the core of of law is humanity mm. and it's I think it's it's coming back to that mm. it, the the interesting thing is that you know 50% of the profession is now millennials and they want something different yeah they want they want to work differently they don't want to work in the way that you and I might have been taught how to be a professional, they can see that there are different and better ways to be in the world. And I don't know if it's their courage or the naivety that they just say, no, actually we're not going yeah. to. Because I know for me, I, I certainly was like, okay, I'm just going to get on board. And, and I think that's just a sign of my generation. Um, and then when I'd had enough, I, I mo- you move on. That's just the norm. I read this great piece in Itangata the other day, um, and the the quote was, you know, for a long time I tried to fit the mould until I found the power of breaking it. Mm. And it's that, I think, I feel, and it may be aspirational or hopeful, but I feel like a new time is coming. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if, if the rest of us or if the other 50% don't evolve and change, mm. they could very well get left behind. Mm. And so... Um, I agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. So that, you know, so health and wellbeing of the profession and what the culture of practising law looks like is something that's definitely on the way. And it's on definitely your happening. Radar. It's on my radar, Top but of it's, your radar. It's, yeah, it's happening. Um, and then the other big one is access to justice, which we've, right. you know, everyone's talked about 
for the better part, well, for as long as I've been a practicing lawyer and, and hasn't improved, it's just gotten worse. And when I say access to justice, I mean that if people can't access lawyers and they can't access courts because of cost, then that's an issue for the profession. Mm. You know, we mm. have to be relevant to mm. the communities we serve. And that, and underneath that umbrella term is a myriad of different things. It's not just legal aid, mm. it's not just pro bono, it's a combination of probably, you know, if I had hours and hours to talk to you about, it's probably about eight different things mm. that I can think of right now, but I'm probably not even, Touching you know, well, not, yeah. well, no, I'm not even completely there yet. So um, there've been lots of different academics and researchers and different interest groups that have been kind of doing little bits of work all around the place for a a long time and it's time we brought it all together and actually said no we're actually going to do something about this so for me I think that's particularly front of mind because I you know have worked primarily in a small area with deep pockets of poverty Um, a lot of my work has been on legal aid I understand it I get it I know how hard it is I know how hard it is for people Um, particularly vulnerable people who need help. And so, you know, my the reason I went into partnership with the partners that I have is because they are well known for doing a lot of pro bono work, probably more than their share. Um, and so I think it's a it's it's time that we as a profession came together and really did something about that. Mm, this really excites me because this is exactly what the show and what today.co.nz yeah. is about access to justice and giving better finding a way and and as you say every little helps and a whole lot of things can add up to all the pieces have to come together Mm. and when I say all of it it means it actually also means us working very closely with the courts Mm. to sort of untangle some of the procedural stuff that can make it too complicated Um, it's it's really working with government it's working with all the parts within the profession, all the organisations. We all care about it. We all talk mm. about it, but we've got to we've got to actually start making material gains with access to justice because, you know, with the advancement of modern technology and things like that, then you know one has to wonder, well, mm. why would I bother going to a lawyer if they're so expensive or if courts inaccessible to me? Yeah, and and the thing is, everything's online these days. You know, there's most people they go to Auntie Google for lots of their answers, mm. um, rightly or wrongly. Some of it is dangerous to do that. I think um, you still have to make sure that your sources are credible. But yeah, I think the public is is ready for a legal industry that is more accessible and more open, and all the things that it. it kind of has been trying to do but is falling behind and it, it has historically I think in the digital age when you think of all these other services online mm. I think that they, they're in that phase where they could be left behind pretty quickly. One of the things that we've done already or I've had done already is um, for the board to approve um, us scoping out like getting a status report on all the initiatives that are going on right now. Mm. So getting all of that all together, all the research, because as I say, I think there's lots of stuff happening in pockets, mm. but bringing it all together. So we have like a status report on access to justice, and that will be a good starting point to figure out what the next steps should be. I yeah. look forward to seeing the progress on yeah. that, actually. Just a really small thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to achieve in a thousand days. Yeah, a thousand look, days. The, the, what I need 
to happen is for it to be started mm. in a meaningful way mm. and have the structures set up so that, you know, it may be that I won't get there. You know, mm. I remember John F. Kennedy said, look, it won't happen in my time, it won't happen in my presidency, not my first hundred, not my first thousand, but it will happen because I will start the process. And mm. sure enough, Lyndon Johnson was the one who actually delivered on civil rights. Mm. So, so in terms of legacies, after your thousand days, what would it look like for you to feel? And I don't want to pin you to, oh my goodness, you have to achieve that. Yeah. But what would what you like to? Yeah. What a success look like? Yeah, for yeah. You. Yeah, so I try not to be too hard on myself, mm. you know, and, and it's not going to be me who does it, you know. It's if, if all I do is get every lawyer, as I say, to get that they have a role to play. So it's not just health and well-being, it's access to justice as well, mm. that everyone has a role to play, that if we all do our little bit, everything changes a lot. I'm not just talking about the internal health and well-being, I'm talking about access to justice as well. Mm. So it's a... It's my, it's my go-to every time because it neatly encapsulates what I think will be if I get to the end of a 1,000 days and every lawyer actually does get that, that'll be an incredible thing. When I look back at the topics we've talked about today, we've talked about the dispute process. So if you've got an issue as a member of the public, what do you do? And then we've talked about lawyers, the industry, and some of the issues they're facing and the cultural the culture and the industry and so I can't help but say if you have got an issue with a lawyer just remember they they are working hard they are yeah (laughs) yeah they are you know and it's it's um it's a really look it's a privilege to be a lawyer I love Mm. being a lawyer I absolutely do um it's an incredible thing when someone comes to you and you say, I can help you, mm. or you can leave the stress with me, I can deal with you know, it. I mean, I see people come and I'm going, I, I know how to fix this. Mm. I know how to deal with this. You can leave it here in this room and you can walk out and leave it here with me. That's mm. an incredible... It also comes with enormous responsibility. Mm. And people rely on you incredibly. And the demands that are made of you by other lawyers, by the, by the judges in court, you know, the fact that you have the Law Society being quite a stringent regulator. You know, mm-hmm. that sort of lawyers can be quite hard on other lawyers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of pressure. Um, we add to that, you know, modern technology. We're the first generation to be accessible at all times. You know, my dad's generation, it was you wrote a letter and you might have faxed it, but otherwise it went in the post. And then you had your boundaries. Mm. And none of this, you know, 24-7, seven days a week, con- you know, even if you're at home, you are constantly checking emails. So these are all quite big challenges which is why stress and anxiety is number one for lawyers yeah. and yeah and for young lawyers in particular um, that can you know it can be quite hard so what I would say is that there are a lot of great people in this profession that do a lot of work for um, almost nothing or next to nothing um, and all the, there, are, there are lots of things that lawyers do that probably the public are not aware of, like all the law reform stuff that's done on a voluntary basis, mm. like all the hours given to community law centres, Citizens Advice Bureau. Um, when I went around the country last year, I talked to some lawyers who had done thousands and thousands of dollars worth of pro bono, thousands of dollars, mm. you know, who take time out to sit on school boards and use their knowledge mm. there. So, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't even think they realise what goes into providing some of the advice. 
the research behind some of that advice and um, you're, keeping what, up to date. With yeah, what that. you have to spend in order to ensure that you're always up to date with databases and yeah, practicing fees and yeah. Thanks so much for talking to me today. I think it's been a real pleasure being able to discuss some of these issues that are close to your heart and mine. Hopefully we will see some of the progress in your thousand days. No pressure. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Tiana. Thanks, Julia. Well, that's another episode of NZ Free Law Done and Dusted. Thanks to our guest today, Tiana Epati. And thanks to our listeners out there. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it out on Instagram and Facebook and all those places because the more people that hear this information, the more people we can help and build this listening community. And we want to help you all to build whatever it is you're trying to be successful with. So until next time, I'm Julia Stenson. Have a great day. Kia pai tōra.